turn, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll look together in verse 3. Verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Why are there problems? Sounds like a simple question. We know why the world has problems. They've rejected Christ, and we don't need to go any further than that. They've rejected light and life. So we know why the world has problems. But why do we have problems in the church? Why do we have problems in the local assembly? Why problems in our homes? Why problems in our hearts? It's self-evident that all of these are connected... But I'll read briefly from 1 Timothy, talking about qualifications of elders and deacons, starting in verse 2 through 5. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? We see from this passage that a well-ruled heart leads to a well-ruled home. And that leads to a well-ruled local assembly. Turn, if you, if you would, to Colossians 3. Starting in verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. So some very simple commands to everyone. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Children, obey. Fathers, provoke not. And servants, obey. And what we see here is divine order with divine order and following the divine order, there's blessing. 
we live in a day where this very simple order is not followed. We have disorder from top to bottom in our society, and disorder leads to problems. And what a shame that the problems that the world has because they reject God, we find those same similar problems in in the church, in our homes, and in our hearts. There are many different examples to look at from our society of this disorder, but we'll just think briefly on childhood. We've lost what it is to be a child. We don't know what the role of a child is anymore. On one hand, it seems like children grow up way too fast, and on the other hand, nobody seems to grow up anymore. There's no submission to authority. Children do not respect authority anymore. And where does it come from? It doesn't start with the child. We know that we're born with a wicked, lost, sinful flesh. But it's up to the parents to train. And so this problem looking at childhood, we realize that We've lost what parenthood is. We've lost what a father ought to be by the word of God. We lost motherhood. We've certainly lost the roles of husband and wives, according to the Bible. Ultimately, all of it points to the fact that we've lost who Christ is. We've lost who the Godhead is. And sadly, that's, we've lost it in the church. We've lost it in our homes. We've lost it in our hearts. We could spend all all evening talking about the fruit, the problems that we see visibly, but what's at the root of it? We need to get to the root. So when we trace it all the way back, problems in the church, our homes, and our hearts come back to having wrong thoughts about God. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. This passage deals with the progression of the world, but I think if we we look at it and keep in mind the dangers of allowing our minds to drift from God's word, uh, we can apply this to ourselves. (coughs) Starting in verse 21 and uh, skipping down a little bit, touching on a couple points. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, Skipping down, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. They changed the truth of God into a lie. And 26, for this cause God gave them up. And following all the way down, they don't fill their minds with God, so they are filled, in verse 29, with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers. And that's the end when, again, in verse 21, they knew God, not in that personal, intimate way. They knew of him, 
but they rejected who he said he was. So the solution to any of our problems, and when we, when we say problems, we're not talking about the little day-to-day things that come and go, the little ups and downs, the real problems of the heart. The solution is to see him as he is. Not how we think of him, but as he has revealed himself to us in his word. We have to start there. We have to end there. Add nothing to it. Subtract nothing from it. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. So, who is God? We hear about him since, since a child. But if, we, if, if we're put to the spot, could we really talk of our Lord as we ought to? We claim to know him. We ought, we ought to know him. So where do we start? If you start off on the wrong foot, not on his word, you're never going to get to him. One, one solid place to start is to recognize right up front the difference, the awesome difference between God and everything else. If we think that he is like us, we've already started on the wrong foot. We've brought him down to our level, and we need to see him for who he really is. We've been talking recently about the attributes of God. It's been a wonderful study. And there are so many characteristics to think on. You can only pick one or two at a time and and really uh, mull them over. Along the lines of thinking about God being different than anything else, we know that God is transcendent. That means that he is exalted so far above his creation that our imaginations cannot cannot conceive. We can't contain who he is in our mind. He is so far above. And we also have to recognize that when we use language, we say God is far above. The words fail to describe how how high above us he is. The the word high implies a distance. There is no distance with God. We use terms that are language of the creature to try to grasp who he is. So we need to recognize that that as much as we try to describe him, our words fall far short. Might be a funny little example but to think about how, how high above he is over all of us, over all creation. Consider an inchworm. Little guy, moving slowly. Did you realize that an inchworm is closer in position and ability 
and power closer to an archangel than an archangel is to God. An archangel and a worm alike are created and thus fall into the category of creation. And that's not denying the incredible power of an archangel, certainly not. But God is separate. He is infinitely above any creation. So while the gulf might be vast between creation, animals, and us, and the angelic world, God is infinitely above any angel. We also know that God is self-existent. He has no origin. He was not created. Everything that we see, everything that we have ever seen or experienced has been created. It had a start. God never had a start. Everything we've seen, everything we will see, exists only because of him. And because he's self-existent, we know that he is self-sufficient. He needs nothing. It's quite humbling to know he doesn't need me, he doesn't need you, to be who he is. Nothing outside of him in creation can add or subtract to the Godhead. He is perfect. He's complete in himself, and he changes not. Turn to Exodus 3. Verse 14, a very familiar phrase. We need to certainly be cautious when it comes to over-familiarity with things and think that we know it. Verse 14, And God said to Moses, I am that I am. Not what Moses thought of him, not what we think of him. I am who I am. And I tell you who I am. You're not going to find you're not going to find this in the general revelation of nature. You know there is a God and he is powerful, but you will know nothing of his love or grace or mercy aside from his word. God alone defines himself. And we, again, have his word. No creation has the capacity to grasp God. He's too much. And again, much and too big doesn't even, doesn't even start to say his transcendence. But we don't have the capacity to grasp God. And if you think on it, capacity implies a limit. So it's easy to look at each other and say, oh, somebody over here, their mind and heart, just they grasp so much more than I do. They have such a large capacity, and I, I have a small capacity. Both are limited. The Holy One has no limits. So regardless of how amazing our mind is, 
we're woefully limited. And since God alone defines himself, God alone can reveal himself to us. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. Verse 4 and 5, and then we'll skip to 13. It's the vision of glory that Ezekiel had. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Verse 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel, and they they four had one likeness. And their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Notice how the language falls short to describe what Ezekiel was seeing. And the viewer was the penman, but he couldn't describe more than the language. And we see how often he had to say likeness and as the appearance of. Because these things that he saw, the things on earth were a, a, are a vague shadow of the heavenly. And we notice later in the chapter, verse 26 through the end, the deficiency of human language increases as we approach the throne of God. Listen to 26 through 28 and keep in mind those words, likeness and appearance, and see how far short language comes to describe his glory. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face. And I heard a voice of one that spake. Let's turn to Revelation 1. 
another revelation. of the Lord to one of his servants, John. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Skipping to 12 through 17. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Notice in verse 13, if you would. Now, John knew the Lord as all the disciples did, in a special way. But John, as the one that leaned upon the breast of our Lord, he knew the Lord. He and and Peter, they knew the Lord in ways that no one else quite did while he was on, on earth. But notice in verse 13, when he turned to look, he saw one like unto the Son of Man. Now, if anybody knew the Lord, it was John. But to see the Lord in his glory, he knew it was him, but he had to say it. It's like him, but he's so much more than I ever knew. So no matter how well we think we know him, he's infinitely more than our highest thought. And not to discourage us, but to propel us forward that no matter how far we go, there's infinitely more. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 40. And this is a beautiful chapter. Sometimes we forget that there's anything before Verse 31, but what a wonderful chapter, just full from start to finish. And, but we'll, we'll look at just a couple verses, verse, starting in verse 12, just to get a sense, just to let it flow over you of who our Lord is, of his glory. Verse 12, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the balance in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, 
and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are accounted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? Verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? So the Holy One, unknowable and unsearchable without his revealing of himself to us. He has done just that. He's revealed himself to us. So how then are we to respond to this? Think back of what we, we read in Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 1. And turn to Daniel 10. When confronted with the glory of God, what did Ezekiel do? He fell flat on his face. What did John do? He fell flat on his face. Daniel 10. Another glorious vision. We'll not read the whole thing, but pick up in verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. That word comeliness means the beauty, the honor, the glory that we think we have. When he saw the vision that was revealed to be nothing, it was turned into corruption, and he retained no strength. And the end of verse 9, was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. So that's how we ought to respond to the Lord, to his awesome person, his revealing himself to us. We who, until we received Christ, were part of this rebellion. The children of the devil seeking to overthrow God's wonderful position. But through his grace and mercy, through his Son, his revealing of himself through his son. We have his life, his uncreated, his sufficient 
abounding life. And we need to, as his children, as Ezekiel, as John, as Daniel, be on our faces in humility. And we remember the words of Peter, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Remember those problems? Overwhelmed by the Lord himself. Bowing in humility, recognizing our position and his high exalted position and his condescending to us in grace and love, undeserved, we're going to be underwhelmed by the world and underwhelmed by that flesh that we still have to live with until we're called home. Psalm 103. Sometimes it's easy to say this this is what you do and it works out. We're frail, aren't we? And the Lord knows that. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. We just need to remember that sometimes. He knows our frame. Remember what he said to Jacob? Thou worm. (laughs) Jacob, you're a worm. So we don't even deserve to know him. We don't deserve to know him. But he loves us. And he wants us to love him. What an awesome God we serve. You know what my subject is? We didn't talk to each other. Did we talk to each other? I asked you, are you you ready? And told you you had to do the whole thing, right? That's what Mr. Tice said. Humility. If I had to jump right to something, being humble. You know, if you would go with me, well, I better turn Where do I want to go? I want to go to, get my notes on here. Second Chronicles. If you would, Second Chronicles, and Chapter Seven. You can probably guess where I'm going. In verse fourteen, if my people, which are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray. I don't have to go any farther than that. Prayer is a unique thing that only comes when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you can call him Abba, Father. That you can have a relationship with him, who Joel did a really great job. How awesome is God? Anything I want to compare him with, it fades. I can't give him earthly attributes. He made the earth. I can't give him loving attributes. He made love. What can I do other than, as John and all those other people said, they fell at his feet as if he were dead. Or Paul, on the road to Damascus, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? When he was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. What will you have me to do? As I think about prayer and this humbleness that has to come, you can, you can get really caught up when things are going good. That I don't have to pray that much. He's got it. He knows that. Yes, he does know it. And he knows my heart, and he knows where my heart is wrong. Your hearts are probably not wrong. My heart is just as despicable and wicked as he said it was going to be, but by his grace and his intervention in my life. He's the one that makes it so that I can pray. He and his dealing with me as I pray can change my heart to see where I'm wrong. God doesn't, my prayer doesn't change God. He doesn't need me. He is the vine. I am the branches. Without him, I can do nothing. That's hard to think about. You've successfully made it the number of years that you have, and you've got those under your belt, and you can say, I can do that. Yes, you can. Maybe. Sometimes God collapses that all around us so that he can get our attention. I thought I had it. Prayer is like something you do. We're supposed to do it all the time. We're supposed to be in that constant in prayer. How are we? It's something you do it's, it's, it's dangerous. We're going we're gonna to do something dangerous. You pray. Lord, protect us. Help us through this thing. Help us to do this job the right way. Whatever. But God knows all about that. And I should be praying to him every day so that he brings me closer to his way of thinking. I'm not saying our way of thinking is necessarily wrong because he can move in my heart. He can do so much. So I'm saved. I'm saved. I can pray. We should pray. We should humble ourselves when we come in prayer. We should be just as what what Joel was sharing with us. You don't have to go with me, but in, in the book of James, he says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. God gives us grace. God resists that proud heart. I don't want to be anything of that proud heart. 
and it's there. It's so easy to get there. We're praying to an all-knowing, all-wise. He spoke, and it was done. I can, I can have lots of people that have advised me and told me how to go about something or what I should be doing and all the rest of that. But I have a God that said, let there be light. I don't know how he did it. He did it. He knows all the stars. He knows the hairs on my head. He can count those all things up. That's the God we come to worship. That's the God we come to pray to. That's the God I can rest in and say, when I am overwhelmed. Lord, you got it. Yes, I do. I want to just, how can I do this? A couple of places. Go with me to Ezra chapter 10. Now Ezra was coming back into the land. They'd been sent in captivity. And they'd spent all that time in Babylon. And Ezra was coming back uh, into the land. And he was coming to Jerusalem. And in Ezra chapter 10, verse 1. Now when Ezra had prayed weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. Humbled. Humbled. Where did he start? He started humbly. Now, one more place. Go with me over to 1 Kings chapter 18. Different. Elijah. Elijah had some tough times that he lived through. Ahab. Ahab. Jezebel. All those prophets of Baal. And in chapter 18, verse 42, uh, you remember what he was told? He was told that, go tell Ahab, the guy that wants to kill you, that there's not going to be any, there's going to be a drought in the land for about three years. And God created a drought. No matter how much Ahab sent his runners out and everybody else out to find water, to find fodder, they came back with nothing. And then God said to Ahab, he said, go, go show yourself. I didn't tell Ahab. He, he told Elijah, he said, go show yourself to Ahab. Okay. So he did. And Ahab's comp- and Ahab said, are you the guy that's bothering me? Are you causing all this problem? So he sent him back up. Elijah went, the rain didn't come. Verse 42, chapter 18. You know it. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he cast himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. He went up and looked, and he said, There is nothing. He said, Go again, seven times. Now you got a picture. Elijah with his head between his knees. That's an interesting position. What was he doing? It doesn't tell me what he was doing. Elijah was looking to God. So, you, you know, this the whole thing. He says, go up to seven times, and in verse uh, 
And it says this. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Prayer. Humbled. Looking to God. I can't think of anything of a solution or a Instruction, humble, prayer, look to God. May not happen all at one time. It may not exactly happen to what you're asking for. And James has some things to say about that, but we're not going there. I just want to leave you with that one thing. If we can come in here as an assembly and we can unite our hearts in prayer, if we can go through our day And we can remember those in the assembly. We can remember those. We can remember our own heart before God. God can can do wonderful things, marvelous things. And prayer is the one thing that nobody can stop you. To the awesome power of that God who made it all. Created archangels, inchworms, you and me. Wow. Just some thoughts. I appreciate all that you do. I do.